Hi everyone, this is Jeff. And this is Russ. When we first started Home on the RNG, we began it as a series of videos, and we produced quite a few before we realized it really works better as a podcast. Whoops-a-doodle. So we apologize if any of these early episodes have any visually heavy references that don't transfer to the audio medium. Whoops-a-doodle. Thanks for listening. charm we finally started the video successfully yes and we are here to talk about played an excellent game an excellent excellent jrpg we are here to talk about a game russ selected this game russ what game did you select i selected legend of heroes trails in the sky first chapter oh god so Let's ru- let's let Russ do his fangirl gushing so we can get down to an yeah. honest review. This is personal history. So I obviously suggested this game because like most of the games that we play, this is one that Jeff had never played or maybe even heard of before I suggested it. Um, Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky is actually... Part of a part of a long series of games under the title Legend of Heroes, but started a new iteration of the series. Um, it's great. It's a it was a Japanese PC game that was released in I believe two thousand four, um, and we got it in the United States, North America, um, in two thousand eleven on the PSP, and then we had to wait five years for the second game. Um, it has a it has a long and complicated history that we'll probably get into in a different video, but I just love it. It is it's it is one of the most fully realized worlds that I've ever experienced in a JRPG. Um, and the, there are so many characters, and they're so deep and complex. And I, I I shouldn't spend all of my time right now just gushing about the game. So my own personal history with it is that I played it when it came out on the PSP. Um, like seven years ago. I still have that PSP copy, but now I have it. It's available on Steam, so I recently replayed it on Steam um, so that I could do this review and refresh myself on it. So I will let Jeff talk now. I know nothing about this game except Russ wouldn't shut up about it. But now, apparently, I'm learning that it's not the first game in the series, which means Russ has broken the rules of Home on the RNG and I hereby cancel this review! Well, it was worth a shot. Uh, no, I don't know anything about the game. Uh, Russ just kept going on and on about it, so we played it! A young, impulsive girl and a foundling her father brought home years ago joined the Bracers, an organization dedicated 
to helping people and maintaining order in the world. As they travel the country solving problems to achieve full bracer status, they uncover a sinister plot against the throne and learn more about their father's mysterious past. I like the use of the word foundling. You don't hear that enough. Well, that's what he was. He was a foundling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I want to say first, too, that I'm, I'm really happy that I tricked you. I wasn't even intending to. I have never played any of the the games under the Legend of Heroes umbrella. Before, this is not the first game in the before series. Before they started this, like, it's the first one that shares, like, the same world and the same characters. And I never, I really have never played any of the other ones. They got, only a few of them got really, really, like, bad English release, limited releases. And the next game we were going to play, you tried to skirt the rules again. Oh, that's true. Yeah. None of it's intentional. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, Russ, tell us about the characters. The characters, the characters are great. This, this is why I love the series. There are, there are so many characters. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but just as an example, by the time you get to the third game in the Trails of the Sky series, you have 16 playable characters that all have fully real... I mean, it's like, it's like Final Fantasy 3 slash 6. But all the characters have, like, way more complicated inner lives and personal lives and relationships with each other and with other non-playable characters. Every every character in this game has a name. That's true. Every NPC that you talk to has a name. There is no townsperson. No. It's Gary. It's right. Samantha. It's Flavuva. <laughs> right, exactly. Everybody has a name. And they all have their own, like, inner... Like, they have their own thing that they're going through. Because if you talk to the same townspeople after you clear different main story points in the game, their situation will have changed. And they'll tell you about their situation changing. Like, there's this one guy, and he's married. He's a newlywed, and he's married to this girl, and he lives with her father, and... The father is a, is a woodcutter, and he's training the son-in-law to be a woodcutter, but he's really disappointed in him, and he doesn't think that he knows, think that he has what it takes to be a woodcutter, but then the wife really believes in him. And then over the course of the story, the father starts to realize that he really does know what he's doing, and he has this really good business acumen that he can bring to the woodcutting business. And these are just three NPCs. Yes, these are three people you could play the entire game without ever talking to. You could never talk to them. But they have a whole story (laughs) that spans the entire game. And that's just one NPC family. In one city. In one town, it's one NPC family. There's a lot going on. Is the point? If you if you Google, I would I would recommend that anyone Google um, like Trails in the Sky script, and you can find. And they have a picture that Exceed Games localized the series, and they like published a picture of the of the book of the script, basically of the game, and they put it next to like a Final Fantasy game script or whatever, and it's like. Here's the Final Fantasy script, and here's the Trails in the Sky script. Like, you can't even open and turn the pages, because there's so much. Every NPC has so much unique dialogue. That you can't... (laughs) I really am just gushing, This is true. It's fine. 
and I just and that and that's just the NPCs. I mean the the main characters. You get eight. There there are there are two two that stay with characters. you. There's Estelle and Joshua, who are the two 16 year old bracers. And then your third and fourth character slots are rotated out every chapter, basically. Right. Exactly. Like each t- so the game, the structure of the story is that there are five regions in this kingdom that you live in. And Estelle and Joshua are these, you know, rookie bracers, and they're exploring on foot each of the different um, regions in their kingdom. So each time you get to a new region, you meet new people that travel with them temporarily until you get to the end of the game. And then to the very end of the game, you get to pick, like, your favorite two of the other six that you met. Apparently, Um, I chose poorly. Didn't you, who did you choose? Uh, at Tita. I took Tita with me, which yeah. is apparently Tita. Apparently Tita's not that great. Well, Tita... But I liked her because she has... Her default attack is an area of effect. Mm. Her standard just pew-pew hits an area. And I'm like, yes, I want that. Yeah. Tita, Tita gets better. In other games. I don't, I don't disrespect you choosing Tita. Um, but yeah, there's Estelle and Joshua. They're your main characters. There's... I like Agate. Agate is a is this redheaded twenty something swordsman. He is cloud. He has a big buster sword. And he's angsty. And then there's Shara, who's like the older sister. I think it's Shahara. I think it's short for Shahrazad. Is Shahrazad? Shahrazad. Well, whatever. Anyway, I almost have to be wrong because I never get names right. <laughs> I would think Shahrazad too, but I don't think it's that long. Well, no, it's that's why she's just called Shahara. Anyway. She's cool. She's she's kind of an alcoholic. Kind um, of. <laughs> she drinks all the other characters under the table. And she reads tarot cards and she uses a whip. Um, we a, mentioned a, Tita. A whip. A whip. A whip. A whip. Why are you pronouncing the H first? Because <laughs> that's what I do. Okay. Tita is an 11-year-old genius who uses like a little cannon. Um, who else is there? There's Chloe. Chloe, Chloe is Sailor Mercury, basically. Yes. I've never even seen Sailor Moon, and I can <laughs> agree with Sailor that. She's Sailor Mercury. She has water-based attacks, and, and then the she's... the blonde nobleman, the the obnoxious one who's always oh Olivier. That's the... yeah. He hits on everybody, regardless of gender or anything, and he he pretends that he's a bard, but he's not a bard. I think that's a spoiler for the first game, though. <laughs> And um, yeah, so it's it's a it's an interesting cast, and they all have they all have complex interpersonal relationships. Like Agate and Shara, for example, know each other from years ago, and they have this background. And and I like all the foreshadowing that they do in the game. Like they don't, not everybody plays their cards. I mean, it's a long series, so not everybody plays. It's a their long cards. game. It is a very long game. Um, and it's the shortest of any of the Trails games. 70 hours yeah. it took me. 70 and it's the shortest. hours. Most of the games that we play on this, since we're playing older JRPGs, are around 20. <laughs> 20 to 30 hours. Right. 70 hours. Yeah. I just kept texting Russ, like, this game's never gonna <laughs> end. And you'll never want it to, because it's so good. This game's never gonna end. Um, and the other thing I wanted to touch on with the characters is that they do villains very well too. So there's a there's a there's a large cast of villains. A lot of characters you don't even know are villains yet. Um, just learning about their motivations and does it do villains as good as Skies of Arcadia did villains? 
think they're about equal. Hmm. I think because because most of the as we play along in the series, a lot of the villains get um, like redemption arcs. None of the none of the villains are really like black and white, mustache twirling, evil bad guys. I could just go on and on, but but instead we're gonna move on to the combat system because he could he could go on and on for the length of the script. I could, yeah. There is a lot here. The, the writing is really good, the story is really good, and the characters are really well realized. My long-suffering facial expressions are really dedicated towards Russ and not the game itself. Uh, his points are all accurate. And the story, we didn't even really touch on the story. The story is, I think, told very well in the way that it escalates. It starts out with very basic, like... Estelle and Joshua go to a farm to fight off some, you know, monsters for some lo- local farmers. They it does know. what a good JRPG story should do, which is, it, in the beginning, it kind of sets out your goal. The story's going to have this arc. But as you travel along that arc, you start finding ties to a deeper story that runs through the whole thing. And by the time you get to the end, you look back and you realize everything you did was leading to this point, and right. it's all related. Right. It's that is the good way to write a story, uh, especially in an interactive medium. You want to have the player be able to look back and all the dots connect, and that's what this game and they does. do they do here. Yeah. So on to combat system. So the combat system is laid out kind of on a grid. It's a little tactical in that sense, um, with different weapons having different ranges. Right. Uh, it's a little like how Lunar 1 was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can clearly see, okay, if I move my character here, there reaches this circle, this spell will hit this circle right. of, er- of area. Uh, there are three types of attacks. Mm-hmm. It is regular attacks, magic attacks, and skill attacks. Right. Right? Uh, you also have CP, which is used to trigger your skills. CP is built up by dealing or taking damage, kind of like in Lufia 2. Yes. You can also use CP, if you build it up to enough level, to break turn order. You can. If somebody has 100 CP or more, at any point you can just be like, and it's their turn now to execute a super attack. Right. Uh, the turn order is very it visible. Is- it is right there on the side of the screen the whole time. You can see exactly who's going to go next. When you're choosing to cast a spell, spells don't cast instantly, but you can see when it will trigger. Right. And you need to follow that. It's very advantageous to follow that because you get bonuses. Mm-hmm. There are, I want to say, there. well, there are, there are bonuses to Sepeth. Sepeth is a substance that you collect to like make new spells for yourself. You can trade it in for money. Um, so like if you cut turn order, you can put that character in a spot where they'll get extra Sepeth at the end of battle. Or you can have them cut in to where they get a critical hit. Or they get an increase in strength. Or they get a little bit of magic recovery. So that's how you want to use the cut in. Occasionally you might have a character whose special cut in skill will disrupt spell casting. So you'll right. want to have them jump in right before the enemy gets off a spell. Just mm-hmm. no more magic for you. Uh, I like having the turn order so incredibly visible. I wish more games did that. 
Um, I was just thinking, we haven't played it yet, but one of the games we're going to play is Final Fantasy Tactics, which does tell you the turn order, but you got to go through like three menus to pull it up, and then you can see everybody's exact turn order. Um, this just and has it right there yeah, on the Yeah, this side. does it right there on the screen. And even in Final Fantasy Tactics, that's unusual to actually get the turn order before somebody goes. Usually you have to kind of guess in most games. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yes. What else? I am going to go against my nature and say the things that I don't like about the battle system. Go ahead. And the main thing that I don't like is you can't really grind. And I'm a grinder. And it's difficult to grind because as you level up, the experience you get from enemies scales with your level until you're only getting one experience point per enemy that you kill. Wow. There, there is one special type of enemy called a palm. I never managed to kill one. Did you never kill a palm? You ha The only way to really kill a palm is to exploit the super skills and the cut-ins. You need to engage a palm when all of your characters have 200 max CP so that they can all just cut in and use their special attacks. And then you instantly kill Palm, and they always give you tons of experience. So that's really the only way to grind, but it can be kind of frustrating because you have to build up your CP, you have to be, like, you have to be all prepared beforehand. So I didn't really like that because I'm, I'm a person that grinds in RPGs just a little bit so that while I'm following the main story, the battles are easy. And it just doesn't really let you do that because you get to a point that you're only getting one experience. I didn't like that. And then, um, oh, and then the other thing that bothers me is on the area of attack spells and things, specifically with spells, some of them are like area of effect and you don't focus them on an enemy. You just focus them on an area of the battlefield. Like when you're choosing to cast them, you don't pick an enemy. Yeah. You just pick this spot on the battlefield, and then all the enemies will get turns, and they'll move out of your But to be fair, area. it works the other way, too. Well, it does work when the, the other way, too. When the enemy's going to cast an area yeah. of effect spell, it shows you, hey, this area is about to explode, yeah. and you have the opportunity Obviously, to move. Obviously, I love it when the enemies are doing it to me. Oh, oh. But when I'm doing it to oh. the enemies... Oh, I see. I'm not into you that. You don't want a fair fight. I don't want a fair okay. fight, no. I want to grind, so I'm a little bit too strong... And I want to have adva an advantage over the enemies. So, as much gushing as I do about the game, those are the two things that kind of frustrate me. I was okay with both of those. I don't grind, and as long as the area of effect thing can benefit me, I'm fine with it occasionally benefiting the enemy, okay. as long as it's fair. I get it. So, um, let's go ahead and move on to innovations. Yay. So, to kind of continue what Russ was talking about with the grinding, monsters in this game do not drop money. Mm -hmm. Which can make grinding frustrating, especially earlier on in the game. What they do drop is this Sephith stuff. Right. They're crystals. And you can turn those crystals in for money. But, there are a lot of uses for these crystals, and you need a large number of them mm -hmm. for the more advanced uses. So, trading them in for money is kind of shooting yourself in the foot. So, especially earlier on, you know, a standard grinding technique in any JRPG is to 
wander around the town fighting monsters until you're banged up enough, then go into town, spend money on an inn, go back out, do it again. Right. You can't really do that in the early stages of this because you will run out of money to go to the inn. Right. Unless you're willing to trade in your hard-won Sephith, which you need for other things. You need them for your orbs. Yes, which, which we'll uh, talk about in just one second. Okay. We'll do orbs in a second, but the main way that you earn money is through side quests. That's the main way mm -hmm. that money comes in. You perform tasks for the Bracer Guild, you get money. Now, onto what you're using all that Sephith for, which is the orb system. Russ, right. did you want to explain the orb system? The orb system is really twofold. It's the magic system, plus it's just ways to upgrade your character stats. So every so there are seven there, yeah there are seven types of sepith, and you use them to make these orbs. There's fire, water, air. Now your characters earth. do level up like normal with right. stat increases. It doesn't happen that often. I found the level because, of the game is slower. Of, right, because of the grinding and only getting one experience. The orb system is an augmentation to leveling up, not a right. replacement of right. leveling up. Go ahead. And, and so you buy the orbs, and the orbs will both teach you spells, depending on the, basically the level of the orb. There's like three levels of the orbs. They'll teach you spells, and then they'll also adjust your stats. So like there's a fire orb that gives you more strength at the cost of less defense. There's an earth orb that just ups your defense. Time orbs can increase your speed or your movement. Um, and so you want to save most of this precious sepith that you get to make those orbs because it gives you a really distinct advantage in battle even if you're not using that much magic it can it can Boost really your up stats, your stats yeah. to the point that that you know especially boss battles and things which can be pretty difficult it can also augment easier. your attacks it can give you a 20 percent chance to petrify which was awesome by i the was way. gonna say the petri once you get the petrify orb that is the petrify the skill best. in this game is amazing because you say 20 percent, but i felt like i was just petrifying every yeah, enemy it was it was at least 50 50 yeah and as soon as you petrify an enemy they stay petrified for the rest of They're, their combat yeah. and the next attack that hits them kills them right yeah so petrify is unbelievably powerful yeah. uh but it's also you know 20 percent chance to poison to to sleep uh, there's other passive abilities like can see enemies on the map further away. Yeah, I always kept invisible to enemies, which right. I always kept on. That way, I, every combat I got into, I did the surprise right. attack. You want to get your surprise attacks. Even the random battles can be a little challenging if you're not, you know, leveled up. Um, so you want to get those surprise attacks. And this game does do one of the things that I really like, which is the random encounters are visible monsters. You see the monster before you touch the monster, and that triggers the fight. And it also does, like the earthbound mechanic of, if you sneak up behind the monster, your characters all get to go first. If the monster manages to touch your back, even if it didn't sneak up per se, right. but if it manages to the touch back. the back of somebody in your party, they all get to go first, and they usually surround you. Right. The The enemy AI is very is very intelligent. Yeah. So they will kill you if given the opportunity. Now, you also have to use Sephith not just to create the orbs, mm -hmm. but each character has room for, what, six orbs? There's six. So each has a device called an orbment, and there are six slots. There are like six nodes in everybody's orbment. They're all laid out in but different ways. But they don't ways. start out 
unlocked. You have to right. You get spend one. Sephith to unlock slots that you can then spend Sephith to make orbs to put in the slots. Right. It's also what increases your MP. Um, uh, also, some, certain characters... Okay, yeah. Some characters... all Well, all of the characters except Estelle, your main character, have at least two, I believe, nodes in their orb month that you can only... Basically, they have an element of finity. Yes, you can only place one like agate. Agate Agate likes fire, so two of his six have to be fire-based orbs. And Chloe, Sailor Mercury likes water, so two of the six have Have to to be be water-based. Joseph. Joseph has time. Joshua. Joshua. Joshua likes time. Joshua does time. Shara has wind. Tita has space. Only, only Estelle, your main character, doesn't have a restriction like that. So you, this is why I mentioned earlier grinding for Sephith, but then not wanting to turn it into money. You need the Sephith to unlock the slots that you then you spend the Sephith to buy the particular orbs to put in the slots to augment the characters. So you don't want to just be giving it away for cash. Yeah, you. If at any point you sell Sephith for cash, you're not. You're probably playing the game wrong. <laughs> right. But. Fortunately, there are a lot of side quests. Plenty. So it helps. That's how I spent 70 hours. I did not complete every side quest, but I did most of them. Some of them are well hidden. I know that, I mean, on the first playthrough that I did of it, I definitely didn't do all the side quests. Um, Some of them are very well hidden, and it has by far the least, this game has the least amount of side quests. I'm not a video game completionist. There's just too many games I want to play. But I do kind of give it my... I give it my best shot whenever I'm playing through a game. I will do as many of the side quests as I reliably can. If I if one of them fails or I can't get to it, so be it and I move on. But I do do as many as I can. Um, and that's how I clocked 70 hours yeah. in this game. Uh, it does one other thing that I like. Remember Great Greed? I do remember Great Greed. Do you remember what happened when you leveled up in Great Greed? You are fully healed. I love that mechanic. <laughs> uh, although in this game, leveling up doesn't happen as often. Uh, because it kind of counts on the orbs to augment you more than the leveling up. Right. So you can't count on leveling up in a dungeon to help heal you at a certain point. But I do always like the mechanic of leveling up gives you full health, full magic. Mm-hmm. And just And again, I know we're getting ahead of our reviews too, but as a little side note part of there is part of the reason that leveling up is so rare in this game is that as you go on and you play the second and third trails in the sky game you retain oh interesting so once we play and review trails in the sky second chapter you can move over all your data and your characters will have their levels so the max level in the first game is i think 35 then in the second game, if you don't carry over your data, you start at level 30. Or you carry over your data up to level 35, and then the max level is, I think, 70. Wow. And then by the third game, all of your characters are level 100-something and have 50,000 HP. So there is a reason. There's a reason that the leveling is... Fair enough. ...is limited, which, to the criticism that I gave before, I do like the fact that it's kind of interwoven into the way the games work yeah it makes sense your characters are stronger yeah that you're intended by the third game to be like level 150 it is nice that as you start out a second or a third game your characters aren't back at level one 
because they didn't yes. work out over the break. Right. I can't. Oh yeah, I was trying to remember what video game did did that excuse. That was one of the Neptunia games. Oh, it was. Yes. Like Neptunia two. She's like, why am I level one again? Yeah. Well, you've been sitting around watching TV for the last year. Yeah. Oh. I remember. Yeah, so, they did do that. Uh, yeah. I, which is good. Which I like. Uh, did you have anything else for innovations? No, I think that's. Um, no. All right, then we're going to move on to music without Mike again. <laughs> so, uh, we've, we've addressed this multiple times, and we'll address it many more times, I'm sure. Uh, Russ and I do not live in the same city. So, we get together every couple of months and film multiple episodes. It's why you see us wearing the same shirts for several episodes in right. a row. So, Last time I said Mike wasn't with us because he's getting married this weekend. It is still the weekend that Mike is getting <laughs> married, so he is still not you here. You should have just said that he's already gotten divorced and he's getting married again. Uh, since the last episode, Mike has gotten divorced, but <laughs> did in fact meet the second woman of his dreams, right. and they are off on their honeymoon. Um, he also won't be here for the next episode, but then he should be back after that. Fingers crossed. So... With that in mind, I have asked Russ to talk some about the music of this game, since he loves it so much. I said, Russ, do some research, dig around, and Russ is going to give us a presentation worthy of Mike. <laughs> no, I am not. It's going to be researched and nuanced. It's going to be great. I'm going to sit here and learn. Tell us about the music, Russ. The music was good, if not unremarkable. Of everything that I love about the game, I just don't... The music doesn't 100% stand out to me. I did find... Um, and there's not much to say about the composers either. I did I did look up the composers. Um, we have Hayato Sonoda and uh, Takahide Murayama and uh, Wataru Ishibashi, who is dead. No, <laughs> I found out. I hate to find he out tragically died at the age of 39. <laughs> Wow. So that's the most interesting fact I could find about any of the composers. All of them, the point being, all of them have specifically worked on Falcom games. Falcom is the um, publisher of the game. And if you look at all three of their um, composer credits, it's literally just Falcom games. So they're like an in-house. Um, they're in-house composers. They've worked on a lot of Legend of Hero games and the East series and uh, Xanadu. I think one of them worked on Tokyo Xanadu. So That's that movie with uh, I, it Bo is, Derek, right? It is, but, you're not, but there's an unrelated Oh, okay. Game. There's an unrelated game called Xanadu. Oh, okay. Or Fazanadu. So it's not based on the movie? No, it's oh, not. Oh, well, that's disappointing. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, there's, and there's a current... Um, there's a current... I think it's on the Vita game called Tokyo Xanadu that's kind of like a poor man's persona. That's sad. Yeah, and they and that's that's what they compose for. They're like in-house composers. So, I mean, I think they do a fine job, but the music is, I feel, just standard of what you would find in a, in a fantasy JRPG. It sets the mood well, but there, there's no track that stood out to me like, oh, this is amazing. Fair enough. So and po and poor um, Ishibashi is dead. That is sad. Thirty nine. And apparently he we're just, almost there. 
and it, that's why it's so sad and he must have only died recently because he did do some composing work for um for uh, a game in 2016 that's sad yeah well on that downer note <laughs> I guess we'll move on to so, final thoughts. What I'm trying to say is come back, Mike, because this is yes. not our area of expertise. No, I, I liked when Mike was around and I felt like we learned stuff and had we an air of scholarliness. And... We did. Man, this is sad. All right. Final thoughts. So, obviously, I've already gushed about this game enough. Um, I give it an A+, and that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Um, like I said in my intro, it's just, it's one of the most fully realized JRPG worlds that I've experienced. It's, it's on the level of what, you know, people that play D&D have been coming up with for years just in their imaginations, but it's like a bunch of you know, video game developers got together and said, let's make a game that has that level of complexity. Um, and so I just, I love it. I love, except for the few things about the combat system. The combat system is my least favorite thing in the game. Um, but I think part of that is just because the story and the characters um, are all so deep and complex and everything is so well interwoven that I just kind of want to get the battles over with so that I can see what's going on with these characters. Um, I know I've talked in some vlogs that we've done before about, I think when we were talking about our, um, you know, top five favorite RPGs, I talked about how I love Persona 4 and I placed it at number two, and it's because I feel like those characters are my high school friends. Like, I don't keep in touch with anybody from high school, um, and it... Persona 4 was fun in the way that it was like I was I was revisiting those days of, of hanging out with my real friends in high school and I have kind of the same affection for the characters in this game it's not it doesn't specifically take place at a high school and the, the characters are a lot there are a lot more of them and they're a lot more varied but I they feel so much like real people to me um, I, I care about them probably a little bit too much than any person should care about fictional characters um, but I'm a nerd and that's what I do so, um, like I said, I give the game an A+, and I recommend that everyone play it. This is my bro, Chie. <laughs> um, I do, yeah, I do feel emotionally connected to her on a level that I feel like I should not be emotionally connected to a fi fictional character. And then this is Rise, who Jeff loves more than anything in the world. She's not my waifu of choice. My waifu of choice is Yukiko, but I still love Rise. Um, but I, he just handed me these to reiterate my point that um, this is the kind of game that has that has characters that you can really grow um, emotionally invested in. I'm just glad Russ worked Persona 4 into something. Um, so, uh, I've been doing a lot of eye rolling during this. Honestly, I give the game an A. My my exasperation just comes from Russ's overly abundant love of a game. Uh, it's somewhat in my nature to be wary of anything that somebody else gushes about. I, I don't know why I'm that way. I just always have been. Somebody comes up to me and says, Oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. You have to see this. I'm like, Oh God, do I have to? 
Probably because I know my fanaticism won't match theirs, and then it's going to be sad. Um, I did like the game. Uh, I actually like the combat system more than Russ does, apparently. I enjoyed the combat system a lot. But I enjoy the more tactically based uh, combat systems, which we've learned Russ doesn't. So, uh, the characters were very fully realized. I like the game. I'm actually looking forward. Jesus Christ. I'm actually looking forward to playing the rest of this series. And now I'm never going to hear the end of this. Ugh. So, Russ, if they want to. <clears throat> play <laughs> no if they want to play uh, this isn't Skies of Arcadia if they want to play Legends of Heroes <laughs> if they want to play Legends of Heroes Trails in the Sky chapter one where do they yeah. go your best bet is Steam um, all of the Trails games that have been released in English are available on Steam pretty Definitely. reasonably priced reasonably priced um, the only other place that you can go to get this specific um, first game in the series is the PSP, um, but I would not, I would not recommend it in this sense. On the Steam version, they have actually gone back and they've corrected some translation stuff, and the names of some items and things um, that they admit that they kind of messed up the translation on in the first game. So some of the characters actually have different names. Oh. And, yeah. Oh, I guess so we you, should have warned people about that yeah, ahead of time. So if, you have, so if you go out and you get the PSP version, then there's just going to be some translation differences that aren't going to be in sync with everything else in the series. Because um, this is the only one that is on the PSP. Fair enough. The second and third Trails in the Sky games are just on steam i mean that's really what you have to do so there you go if you want to play it go ahead and go on steam for our next episode it is our 20th episode and like we did with our 10th episode we are going to look back on the last nine games that we played i will say this time we're not playing name that game uh while it was fun i, I enjoyed it uh it went on for a, quite a while and we also don't have a musical expert here with us and we don't have the princess with us today to run the soundboard. Right. Uh, so it will just be Russ and I reviewing the last nine games, talking about tropes, uh, reliving memories, and sort of stuff like that. So, uh, so I'll be crying a lot? Is that what you're saying? Reliving memories? Memories. Yeah. I don't know the rest of the words. But it's something about memories. You have the voice of an angel. Of the way yeah. we were. Yep. Of the way we were. We'll see you next time. Bye. Home on the RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on youtube.com slash centaur productions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this podcast with you.
everybody! Hi! Welcome back! I'm excited. Isn't that the same shirt you wore last month? It is. Yes, it's one of my favorite shirts. I, um, who's your favorite Batman? Michael Keaton. Okay. Hmm. Approved. Hmm. If you'd said Ben Affleck, I would have killed you. I would have just murdered you right now. Okay. <laughs> Hi, everybody! Hi! <laughs> Welcome back! That, that, that previous intro is just going to be in the bloopers. Uh, so, watch after the video if you want to know why Russ is laughing. I'm Luke Bryan. Hi. So, just like almost every game that we play... Just like the candle needs the flame. Like the candle needs the flame. Oh, yeah. That's what it's like to be me. Right there. That is what it feels like to be me. Now you know!